0: Welcome to the Faith Connections Podcast, a partnership between the Foundry Publishing, Nazarene Discipleship International, and Holiness Today. Welcome to our study this week of Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, and Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. My name is Scott Rainey. I serve with the Church of the Nazarene in the area of Nazarene Discipleship International, or NDI. This adult Sunday School video lesson is provided in collaboration between the Foundry Publishing and NDI. The Sunday School lesson is intended to support the local church's efforts to make disciples who make disciples. Please feel free to use this video in any way that helps your church and its families. The Faith Connections adult curriculum from the Foundry Publishing has concluded the study of the Letter to the Hebrews we now enter into a series of lessons entitled what is the church i have a couple of leading questions designed to get us thinking when you think of the church what comes to your mind when the word or when the world or or those who don't follow jesus think of the church what do you imagine comes to their mind for many in the world The word church might make them think of beautiful architecture, stained glass windows, stuffy religiosity, organizations bent on self-preservation or political influence, a moneymaker, some might think, or maybe just Sunday meetings of moral people. Many who call themselves followers of Jesus might understand that the church is not the building, but the people. So the church, they believe, is the individual people who gather together for services on Sunday. Some would suggest that the church guards official doctrine, expresses forms of worship, and has a missional outreach. While these descriptions of the church have some truth to them, they do not give the full answer to the question, what is the church? We do know deep in our hearts when the church is being the true church. In pastoring now for 28 years, I cannot count the number of times that I've heard someone say, I don't know what I would have, how I would have gotten through this difficult time in my life without my church family. When the church is doing its thing, you know it. To answer the question, what is the church? it might be best to take a closer look at the biblical description of the group of Christ followers who gathered together in the Jewish temple and throughout the homes in first century Jerusalem. In this week's lesson, we will explore the topic of the church by looking at two passages. First, in Acts chapter 2, we find a general description of the life of Christ followers. And second, in Ephesians chapter 4, we find an exhortation given by the Apostle Paul to the body of Christ. So let's begin in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the Apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And then moving to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you, Paul says, to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers The 3,000 converts who repented and placed their faith in Jesus after Peter's Pentecost message were now growing in their faith through shared spiritual disciplines. You might remember that the 12 disciples had been called by Jesus to follow him. And for three years, they learned about the kingdom of God from Jesus' teaching and from the way Jesus lived. These early followers of Jesus in Acts chapter 2, in turn, gathered together to learn from the apostles, just like the apostles had learned from Jesus. Of course, Jesus, who was and still is alive because the grave could not hold him, was and is still the true teacher in every room. Through his spirit, he continues to instruct us and empower us to obey at the same time acts chapter two acts chapter two records that the new christians devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer acts chapter two verse 42 devoted themselves means that nothing deterred them from such gatherings and disciplines in their gatherings they undoubtedly learn how to scatter throughout their community as a seed is spread by the farmer through the fertile soil of the fields. They shared meals together, the breaking of bread, which some have thought refers to the partaking of the Lord's supper. If it does not refer to holy communion, the reality is that these new believers ate ordinary meals together as an expression of their communion with the lord their meetings were filled were filled with prayer to the one that is Jesus who conquered death this fellowship went deep and encompassed true discipleship what was occurring in the homes of the early followers of Jesus was discipleship discipleship is not a set of classes that teach someone a set of facts discipleship requires time, and patience. It is walking with someone through the challenges of life and continually pointing them to Jesus. Often the metaphor people think of with discipleship is Christian education. A better metaphor for true discipleship might be horticulture, the growing of plants. It's not unnoticed that many parables about the kingdom of God are very familiar themes for farmers. Think about discipleship as horticulture. There is preparation of the soil. There is the planting of the seed. The farmer cannot make the seed grow. In the same way, only God can make a believer grow. The farmer waters and prunes the plants so that they grow better. The fellowship described in Acts chapter 2, included being together as often as possible, not just Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights. Fellowship included meeting each other's needs, even selling property if needed to help someone in the community. And finally, fellowship included focusing their attention and adoration on God. Notice that the meetings took place in the temple courts and in their homes, verse 46. Sometimes the meetings were in large venues like the temple, where scores of people could gather for instruction. Other times, the meetings were in very intimate venues, like a small first century home in Jerusalem. They weren't making choices as to which venue they prefer. Instead, they were looking for any opportunity they could find to be together and to share the good news of Jesus with their community. The new believers were learning how to live together, rich and poor, Jew and Gentile, the educated and the illiterate. The result of their uncommon everyday lives commanded the respect of their neighbors and they grew numerically as new converts joined their number daily. The book of Acts goes on to record two personal visits by the Apostle Paul to the city of Ephesus. One visit found in Acts chapter 18, verses 18 to 21, where he reasoned with the Jews in the Jewish synagogue. We might say it was a church planting mission. Another visit occurred in Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 41, where Paul encountered a a group of believers In Ephesus, who had never heard of the Holy Spirit. On this second visit, Paul stayed in Ephesus for more than two years. On a third occasion, Paul summons the leaders of the Ephesian church to come to him in the town of Miletus in Acts chapter 20, verses 13 to 38. This meeting served as Paul's final goodbye to the Ephesian church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9, Paul, referring to his ministry in Ephesus, said that a great door for effective work had been opened for him. But he also spoke of challenges that he faced. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 32, Paul mentioned his fight with wild beasts from Ephesus. In such honest reflection regarding his ministry in Ephesus, let's now look at Paul's encouragement to the church found in Ephesians chapter 4. We might call Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 through 6 a spirit united church. The very fact that there are letters to the early churches reveals that the church was not perfect. Instruction and exhortation were necessary. The church in Ephesus was not an exception. In Ephesians chapter four, the apostle Paul begins by urging the church to live lives worthy of the calling they have received. Verse one, worthy means living consistent with God's call. As God's representatives in this world, we praise God with lives that reflect who we are and whose we are calls the church to be humble, gentle, and patient with one another. Love should define us. Basically, think Jesus. How did Jesus live among his disciples? Even as the master, Jesus was humble, gentle, patient, and defined by love. We are called to live in the same way. Lord, help us. In Ephesians 4 verse 3, Paul says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit. Note that some of the burden of maintaining unity falls on us, the believers. Make every effort, said Paul. Paul teaches that how you conduct yourself makes a great deal of difference. You may not have started the war that rages around you, but you are responsible for whether or not the peace of God reigns within you. Your conduct, when the pressure is on, can keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Christ calls us to ground ourselves in him for our unity. We give ultimate allegiance to one Lord. So Christ church is a spirit-filled church, and it's a spirit-united church. It's also a Christ-gifted church. Verse 7 says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Grace, in, the con- in this context, refers to the gifts Christ gave us enabling some people to do certain essential tasks with excellence. The gifts Christ distributes differs from person to person. No one possesses all the gifts necessary for the function of the church, yet Christ gives everyone a gift, or in some cases, multiple gifts. The gifts are given for the sake of the body of Christ. They are never given simply for personal benefit. We are recipients uh, and are to be conduits of grace. As we move toward Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, we learn that some of these gifts for Christ's church, Christ gave in verse 11, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. We don't have time to discuss the nuances of each of these gifts. The point here is that Christ gave gifted people to the church for one purpose, to equip all God's people. Equipping refers to preparing people to be what God created them to be. These equippers prepare fellow believers to do works of service, verse 12. Service is translated ministry elsewhere in the New Testament. So the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are not to be the ones doing the ministry by themselves. Rather, they are called to equip God's people for works of ministry. All God's people are ministers, not just the spiritually gifted or the specially gifted or the professionally trained. One of my favorite favorite winter Olympic sports to watch is speed skating, specifically the short track relay. The rink is quite small, 200 feet long by 98 feet wide, the same size as an Olympic-sized figure skating rink. Four teams, two racers on each team speed around the rink, eight people, eight speed skaters in the rink at the same time space is tight, especially around the curves, and anything can happen. Instead of passing a baton for the relay, the entering speed skater steps in front of their partner and is pushed into action. There is something about one speed skater pushing the other forward into the race, which has caught my attention. These equippers are called to disciple And then push believers into ministry. The desired result of this equipping and work of ministry is a mature church. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 13. Christian maturity is literally translated as becoming a perfect or complete man. To become all that humans were meant to be. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. As the church grows in maturity, every Christian increasingly resembles the head of the church, that is Christ. Maturity is evidenced by the church's commitment to speaking the truth in love. Verse 15, this leaves no room for falsehood, trickery, or manipulative flattery. The church cannot be blown to and fro with the cultural trends of the day. At the same time, Christ-likeness excludes brutal honesty that is devoid of love and consideration for others. It is possible to say the right thing in the wrong way. What an amazing community God created. We call this community the church. When we live and grow together by Christ's spirit, The world takes note, and the lost are drawn to the living Christ. Lord, help us to be your church. Give us the unity you desire by your spirit. Teach us to exercise the gifts you give us for the benefit of the whole, speaking the truth in love and patiently walking with others in faithful discipleship. Thank you for listening to the Faith Connections podcast. If you wish to order Faith Connection materials for your local church, please visit thefoundrypublishing.com. If you've enjoyed this production and wish to hear more, visit holinesstoday.org slash podcast or find us on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts.